I invite you to turn to John 1, verse 35 through 39. The words are going to be on the screen. You can also pull out your favorite Bible app if you want. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's 1510-1510. You can turn to that if you'd like. It's a short passage, John 1, verse 35 through 39. John 1, verse 35 through 39. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. This is the word of the Lord. I was thinking about what sermon to preach This morning, my last Sunday at Alger Park Church, and I was looking back over my sermon files, and I found the first sermon I preached here back early September 2018. I think it was like September 4. So this morning, I'm going to preach that sermon with a few changes because, you know, a few things have happened since 2018, and sermons always have to be uh, up to date. Many, many things have changed, but I'm excited to preach on this passage because the heartbeat of the passage and the heartbeat of God, His faithfulness, never changes. So in this short passage from John chapter 1, I want to focus on three invitations this morning, and then I want to highlight each of those invitations with a story. You may remember this sermon. You will probably forget this sermon like we do most sermons. Um, But you'll remember the stories, hopefully, and so hopefully those stories will drive home uh, the points and God's grace to us. So the first invitation is from verse 35. It happens right away. Verse 35 says this, when John saw Jesus passing by, John said, look, the Lamb of God. I want to read this story from this book called Contemplative Youth Ministry by Mark Iaconelli. Maybe you remember this story from four years ago. It's called Slow Club. My son Joseph is a natural contemplative. When he was four years old, he was no longer willing to be hustled to preschool and hurried along on errands. One morning, Joseph announced that he was starting a new organization called Slow Club, in which he would serve, of course, as president. The rules of of the club were simple, no running and no hurrying. Unfortunately, neither his parents nor his brother could commit to these regulations, and so for the next year, Joseph was the only member of his club. Each morning, he'd stroll to school at his natural pace. If I tried to pull him along or anxiously urge him to hurry it up, he'd respond calmly, Dad, I'm president of Slow Club. I don't hurry. 
At night, over dinner, Joseph would talk about his club. He told us about the things he noticed during the day and shook his head at the other children who always seemed too busy to see the marvels and the treasures so clearly visible to the patient eye, like a piece of wire, a bottle cap, an especially smooth rock, a line of ants. From time to time, he'd invite neighbors or other friends to join his organization, but no one could commit to his charter. One summer, while I was teaching at a youth camp, Joseph granted me a one-day membership to his club. After playing ultimate frisbee with a group of teenagers, the bell rang for lunch, and the kids bolted toward the dining hall. Joseph had been watching the game, and so I ran over to him, put on, put on my sweatshirt, grabbed his hand, and began pulling him hastily behind the group. I was hungry, and I wanted to get a place in line, but Joseph reminded me, however, that I'd accepted his one-day club membership and that we would re- need to reduce our speed drastically. I took a deep breath and reluctantly slowed to my son's pace. Joseph looked at me satisfied and then said, You see, Dad, when you slow down, you notice things. Just look around as we walk, and you'll see things that everyone else has missed. Quietly, we strolled through the campground, looking carefully at our surroundings. Suddenly, I saw something move off to the side of the path. Joseph, I whispered excitedly, look over there. He turned, and we both saw two jackrabbits standing on their hind legs, watching us. Joseph gave me a knowing smile and said, I bet we're the only ones who noticed those rabbits. We walked on, stopping to look at butterflies and strange purple wildflowers and an enormous beetle and a lizard with half a tail. When we joined the rest of the family, we both talked excitedly about the treasures that we had seen. The first invitation from our passage this morning is to see I have a hunch that we too want to be members of Slow Club. We want to have our eyes filled with wonder and to see it all new again. Like seeing everything for the first time. We want to notice and name every subtle variation of green on every tree right outside these doors. We want to pull out a blanket on a warm summer night and watch patiently for that first star to appear in the sky. We want to be slow enough and calm enough to gaze on a praying mantis sitting on a lavender plant. We want to linger and savor the taste of a sun-warmed cherry tomato that we grew on our sun-baked back porch. St. Ignatius once said, It's not knowing a great deal that satisfies the soul, but feeling and savoring things deeply. Let me read that again. It's not knowing a great deal that satisfies the soul, but feeling and savoring things deeply. So this morning I wonder, what prevents us from slowing down and from seeing 
from paying attention. There's a lot this morning that I could name, that we could name. Many of us feel overcommitted, and so we're rushed. We're distracted, we're busy, we have no margins, there seems to be no space. We need vacations from our vacations. We can't catch up. We're multitasking 10 things at once. A therapist once told me, it's like you have all these spinning plates on poles. You know those spinning plates on poles? And so we run from plate to plate, spinning and spinning, disoriented, exhausted, afraid to let anything crash until we're the ones on the edge of crashing. We want to be members of Slow Club, but we're also strangely caught up, trapped in this fast-paced culture, addicted to work, addicted to seizing all the opportunities before us, and addicted to the hectic and frantic pace. We just can't seem to stop. And so to us, to me, to you, to all of us, the frenzied children of God, so tired, the first invitation is to slow down and see, to look, to notice, to pay attention. John points us in a certain direction. He says, look, it's Jesus. But maybe before we can even pay attention to Jesus, the first thing that we need to notice is how tired so many of us feel. Which leads to our second invitation this morning. It comes from verse 38, and it says this. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And so the second invitation is to attend to that question. What do you want? This question, like Jesus, like many of his questions, this question of Jesus, it both scares us and it intrigues us. Here's why I think it might scare us. It's scary to get in touch with our deepest longings and desires. It takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. And it takes time to name what you really want, to speak it out loud, and then to go for it. And so, it's easier, honestly, just to meet the expectations of my spouse and my friends and my church community and my parents. It's easier just to put our head down and really just get lost in routine and responsibility. But at the same time, the question, what do you want, although it does scare us a lot, it also intrigues us, and in part because it's the one who's asking the question. It's Jesus. It's an important question to ponder on the path of discipleship and remember 
Jesus is early in his journey. He's calling his first disciples. And so on the path to discipleship, it's an important question to return to on a regular basis because it gets at the heart of what this is all about, a desire for God. We come because we're hungry. We come because we're thirsty. We come because ultimately we're desperate for God. In the end, as a pastor, I I can't answer this question for you. Only you can answer it. And it's not me who's asking. It's Jesus. A number of years ago, I went to a retreat where we reflected on this passage from John 1. And when it came to this question, in the silence and slowness of a retreat, someone, someone began to notice someone began to pay attention. And here's what they wrote on a piece of paper and posted it with a thumbtack to our retreat community board. This is what they wrote. Powerful childhood memory. 12120 Southwest 99th Avenue. Kendall, Florida. Pool in the backyard of our house, 1968. Summertime. Every day spent in the pool. Mom's rose bushes. We'd always pop our inflatables on the thorns. Swimming with my brother's boogie board close by. Contests to hold your breath. Swimming the length of the pool. How many times back and forth without coming up for air? Record-breaking attempt. Underwater for what seemed like five minutes. Lungs burning, head spinning, can't last another second. Head to the surface, desperate for air. If I don't get it now, I will surely die. Almost there, but there's no surface. My head hits the board that my brother is on. I can't get around it. I'm going to die. That split second of desperate need for air is etched into my memory. Lord, That is the answer to your question. What do you want? I want you to birth in my being a desperate need for you. Like I need air to breathe or I'll die. It always brings me a lot of encouragement to think that there's someone out there. I don't know who this person was but they want God so bad. The third invitation is from verse 38. The disciples said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. 
The answer that the disciples give is actually similar to the story that I just read, but phrased slightly differently. What they say in essence is, we want to be where you are. Jesus then says, come on. Let's have an adventure. I'll show you all the places where I live. Following Jesus is about noticing all the places where Jesus resides and then loving God there. The big surprise is that Jesus lives in very ordinary places. Maybe you can believe this morning that Jesus lives in places like this, that Jesus lives at church. And that's true. But follow Jesus out of these doors and you'll discover that Jesus is in some very normal places like your home, your school, your living room, the bus stop, the grocery store, downtown. Jesus is at the bar. Jesus is at the movie theater. Jesus is at the sports field. So many places where Jesus is. The thing is, we don't really notice Jesus in all these ordinary and mundane moments. We like to think that Jesus is only in special places, in holy places. Which brings us back to the beginning of our passage this morning because it turns out that we need someone to point Jesus out to us like John the Baptist did to those early disciples. Look, look, it's Jesus. Here's a story from Henry Nouwen about one of the places where Jesus is. Henry Nouwen, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he was a Catholic priest, died in 1996. He taught in pretty important places like Harvard, Yale, and Notre Dame. He was also a talented and popular writer, but over time he became dissatisfied with his role as a professor. And then one day he got an unexpected invitation to become chaplain for a community of people with intellectual and physical disabilities in Toronto. He accepted the position, but then he had some misgivings. Henry quickly realized that the people under his care now couldn't care less about what he had written or how much he had learned. They didn't care that he was a professor. They didn't care that he he taught at Notre Dame. They weren't capable of reading and understanding his beautiful words. And so Henry realized that he was going to have to change, that he would have to start living out his faith in a deeper way. In his book, Life of the Beloved, Henry tells of a woman named Janet who lived in the community and who was having a difficult time. And so she asked Henry for a blessing. Henry responded in his rote way as a priest for so many years, putting his thumb to her forehead and making the sign of the cross, something he'd done countless times in his role as a priest. Janet would have none of it. Nope, that doesn't work, she protested. I want a real blessing. Henry was taken aback. 
He didn't know what to do. So he stalled for a time and told Janet that he would give her a blessing that night at their community's prayer service. When the time came, Henry was still at a loss on how to respond. He told the members of the community that Janet had asked for a special blessing. At that point, she stood up, walked up to Henry, and wrapped him in a big, tight hug. He held her and reminded her of the ways that she is remarkable. Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter, Henry said. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do to show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days, and that there's some sadness in your heart. But I want you to, I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God and all the people who are here with you. Henry noticed that Janet had a big smile, a big, satisfied smile. She had received the blessing she needed. And as soon as she had left Henry's arms, another person raised their hand and said, I want a blessing too. And then another, and then another. Each person there got a heartfelt hug and an affirmation that they are loved just as they are. And Henry came away from that experience changed forever. In all the ordinary places, as we follow Jesus and look for his presence, God blesses us and is always eager to bless us. That is my hope and that is my prayer for Alger Park Church, now and for years to come. Let's pray. God, we are hungry for you, hungry to be with you wherever you are, hungry for a blessing, thirsty for your presence. So help us to see you Help us to slow down and to notice where you are. Thank you for the invitation to come and join you, that we might receive a blessing. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.